high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Justin Higginbottom. This is your news for Wednesday, November 16th. There are technically multiple bars in Moab, but for those looking for a certain type of neighborhood pub, reliably local and lively, with a bit of that Old West edge, there's nothing else like world-famous Woody's Tavern. And there's no one who understands its importance in the community like Sherry Beck. She's been in Moab her whole life, and was working at Woody's in 1991, a single mother with two kids, when the owner, Woody Woodward, decided to sell. She drafted a contract using old uranium leases and made an offer. Woodward paid her a visit one fateful night to talk about it. He showed up at my house at a rainy night and asked me what I would do if he gave me a chance. And I told him I would make him famous. And uh, 32 years later, here we are. I borrowed a couple of thousand from my grandma and, you know, We've put our heart and soul in here. It used to be just a little, little tavern, and we built it ourselves. From then on, it wasn't just Woody's. It was world famous. But it hasn't always been easy for Beck to run the bar, especially while navigating Utah's notoriously strict liquor licensing laws. To some, those regulations seem more geared towards preventing bars from opening than keeping customers safe. When I started this business, I was told by the compliance department upstate that, uh, this is a man's industry, and I should stay home and make babies. I mean, I have fought them through 32 years, and I've tried to prove to them that, you know, we're a good establishment. We have good people that work here. We don't break the law. Her bar survived the pandemic, the labor shortage brought about by high housing costs, and she says they were finally having a good year, their best year ever, in fact. But over the summer, the bar's septic tank pumps failed, and then their air conditioning stopped working. Getting the parts to fix it all was hard. And this is all going on during the whole shortage. Everything was all, you know, backed up. You couldn't get anything. I mean, literally, when it got to the fan on the air conditioner, it was on a slow boat from China. They didn't get it fixed until September. Meanwhile, we're in here trying to clean with no air conditioning, and the sewer pump keeps going off and going off. So we open it up, and it's the worst I've ever seen it. Beck was forced to close the bar for 12 days. It would have been a health code violation if she'd kept it open. But that closure is the reason the state is now threatening to take away her license. The law says a bar must notify the state seven days in advance if they want to close more than 10 days. And I had originally planned to open on the 12th, but there's no way with sewer running down the back alley I could have opened. It would have been a health hazard. It would have been against the law. And throughout all of this, I didn't call the state of Utah. I mean... That's my mistake, okay? That's me. I did that. I, I didn't even think about the state of Utah. I was more concerned about, like I said, the sewer pumps, the air conditioning. It's like, you can only think of so many things, you know? The bar was closed from July 3rd to July 15th. The sign on the front said it was a vacation, but it was no holiday for Beck and her employees as they worked in over 100 degree heat to fix everything. If the state takes Woody's license, Beck will have to reapply. To add to all the other shortages, Utah has a self-imposed shortage of liquor licenses. There's no middle ground with them. You know, it's like they're so cut and dried. I mean, the biggest problem with them is that they don't issue enough licenses, and I don't understand why. Beck says that if Woody's goes under, Moab won't just be losing a bar. The community will lose something like a release valve, a place for the working class to go, and to dance. Dancing is important to people who work so hard. The people in Moab work really hard, and they get little, if any, recompense or whatever for that. I mean, they need a place to go, and we're it. We're it, you know, and we do. We have the tourists. 
tourists come and go, but locals are forever. That's always been our motto. Beck says she's racked by guilt. She's watched Moab change over the years, and familiar places leave. That can be as painful as saying goodbye to a friend. And she doesn't want to be responsible for yet another loss. And I just, I feel so bad. What's going to happen to my employees? What's going to happen to Moab without Woody's Tower? I'm sure we'll survive. You know, everybody's, oh, we'll just keep going. Well, you know, it's going to be one more little piece of Moab that's gone. One more. And this was a pretty big one, in my opinion. Moab just keeps losing what makes it Moab and losing it and losing it, and it's not there anymore. And I don't know, you know. I'm real, I, obviously, I'm really scared. I'm really emotional. I think I have a right to be. There will be a petition signing on Saturday, the 26th at Woody's. You can find a link to that petition in the show notes. And the hearing is on the 29th in Taylorsville in the Salt Lake area. Beck is asking anyone able to show up and show their support. There's nothing quite as refreshing as a cold glass of water straight from the tap, but it takes a lot of work to make your water clean and tasty. City water providers from all over the Mountain West put their supplies to the test at a recent event in Colorado. KUNC's Alex Hager was invited to judge the taste test and filed this report. I'll be honest, I don't know a lick about judging water. I'm at best an amateur water enjoyer, but here in the middle of a bustling conference hall at a big hotel in the ski resort town of Keystone, our panel is at a long table as a crowd gathers to watch the tasting. Before we take a sip, I thought I'd ask the judge next to me for some of his expert advice. My name is Victor Sam. I'm an engineer at Stantec, which is a consulting firm. Um, I actually did my master's at Colorado State University on um, taste and odor. What are you looking for? Like, what are we? What are we? What are we taking notes on? What are we noticing when we're tasting today? Well, overall, you just want to have a pleasant experience. So, does it quench you? Does it taste good to you? You, you can judge it from maybe a mouthfeel if it's slippery or is it grainy. So, it's kind of like wine tasting. The organizers give us a taste and odor wheel, and it lists all the different notes and flavors you might pick up from a glass of H two O chlorine and bleach, but it's also got a lot of the same things that people say about wine. Fruity, grassy, earthy, but that might not be much help to me and the other judge seated to my left. Colin Chung is on the board of the American Waterworks Association. His group is running the conference and the tap water competition, but like me, Chung is no scientist. They're all looking very, very good to me, making me thirsty at the moment, actually. What was that you said about wine earlier? (laughs) I can't tell the difference between a $10 bottle of wine and a $500 bottle of wine. They all taste good to me. (laughs) And the tap water in front of us is not wine, but it's being treated with the same ceremony and elegance as a nice Cabernet. The organizers pour water from heavy bottles into stemmed glasses before handing samples from cities large and small to each of the judges, who are grading them on a scale of 1 to 10. All right, so I've had my first pass of the water here. I think it's time to go through and start getting some numbers down. The first one, not going to lie, little chemically, getting some chlorine notes. So I'm going to give that one a five. And I do remember some more pleasant tasting waters down the line. So we'll start there. Are you noticing, uh, after we've looked at this wheel of flavors, and they said maybe you'll taste cork or grass or citrus, have you picked up on any of that? 
<laughs> not, not that advanced level here. I don't, I, the sweetness I can't taste. Sour, bitter, maybe the bitter, I don't know. But for someone who does know, let's turn back to our expert, Victor Sam. First thing that stands out is actually a lot of, all of them taste very different. And the second one is, even though they're all different, there's two of them that give me the same feeling, just one more intense. I called that one rubbery. Does that sound right to you? I love that word. Yes. Yes. After all, it isn't really an exact science. Just ask one of the other judges, Sushira Pochuraju. She's an environmental engineer who the MC called Dr. Taste and Odor. Taste and odor is really subjective to people. So, like, people have differing opinions, right? Sitting next to each other, me and my partners have different opinions. Pochiraju literally has a PhD in water taste and odor, but she says that's not necessary to figure out which water tastes good to you. After plenty of hydration and a little deliberation, the organizers tally up the scores from the panel of seven judges. The champion? Grand Junction, Colorado. After the dust settled, I caught up with Amy Brown with the Winning Cities Water Department. It feels awesome. Never win anything. (laughs) And why do you think that people love Grand Junction water so much? Because it comes straight from the Grand Mesa, the world's largest flat top mountain. Yeah. So, yeah, gorgeous place, great water. Next up, all the regional winners take their water to the national championships, where they'll square off against some of the best water in North America to see whose taps are the tastiest. In Keystone, Colorado, I'm Alex Hager. And that's the KZMU News for Wednesday, November 16th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.